Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Waste Connections first quarter 2020 earnings conference call. During the presentation, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. Afterwards, we will conduct a question and answer session. At that time, if you have a question, please press the 1 followed by the 4 on your telephone. If at any time during the conference you need to reach an operator, please press star 0. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded Thursday, May 7, 2020. I would now like to turn the conference over to Worthing Jackman, President and CEO. Please go ahead. Okay, thank you, Operator, and good morning. I would like to welcome everyone to this conference call to discuss our first quarter results and provide an update on the current operating environment. We certainly hope everyone is doing well and staying safe during this unprecedented time. I'll begin the call with an update on our response to COVID-19 and its impact on our business focusing specifically on our efforts to take care of the health and welfare of our employees and communities. Marianne Whitney, our CFO, will briefly review our Q1 results and strong financial position. I will then wrap up with the few trends we are currently seeing in our business and potential implications for the full year before heading into Q&A. Let me first turn the call over to Marianne for our forward-looking disclaimer and other housekeeping items. Thank you, Worthing, and good morning. The discussion during today's call includes forward-looking statements made pursuant to the safe harbor provisions of the U.S. Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995, including forward-looking information within the meeting of applicable Canadian securities laws. Actual results could differ materially from those made in such forward-looking statements due to various risks and uncertainties. Factors that could cause actual results to differ are discussed both in the cautionary statement in our May 6 earnings release and in greater detail in Waste Connections filings with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and the Securities Commissions or similar regulatory authorities in Canada. You should not place undue reliance on forward-looking statements, as there may be additional risks of which we are not presently aware or that we currently believe are immaterial, which could have an adverse impact on our business. We make no commitment to revise or update any forward-looking statements in order to reflect events or circumstances that may change after today's date. On the call, we will discuss non-GAAP measures such as adjusted EBITDA, adjusted net income attributable to waste connections on both a dollar basis and per diluted share, and adjusted free cash flow. Please refer to our earnings releases for a reconciliation of such non-GAAP measures to the most comparable GAAP measure. Management uses certain non-GAAP measures to evaluate and monitor the ongoing financial performance of our operations. Other companies may calculate these non-GAAP measures differently. I will now turn the call back over to Worthing. Thank you, Marianne. <clears throat> Understandably today, everyone's attention is very focused on the novel coronavirus pandemic and COVID-19 outbreak. As noted in our earnings release, an extremely strong start to the year, which had put us firmly on track to exceed our outlook, was interrupted in March by measures taken across the U.S. and Canada to limit or control the spread of COVID-19. In spite of the resulting significant slowdown in economic activity and impact to revenue, we exceeded our first quarter outlook for adjusted EBITDA 
and delivered adjusted free cash flow of $235.7 million, or 17.4% of revenue and 57.7% of adjusted EBITDA, while also shifting our focus to one of preparedness. As you would expect, our priority has been the health and welfare of our over 18,000 employees as we, as we maintain continuity of operations as an essential services provider across 42 states in the U.S. and six provinces in Canada where we operate. So I want to start today by recognizing and thanking our outstanding team, both frontline and working remotely, for their efforts and dedication during this uncertain and chaotic period. I also want to thank the customers and communities we serve whose flexibility with respect to health and safety considerations and whose outpouring of support and gratitude towards our employees have been both overwhelming and inspiring. At Waste Connections, we believe that our safety-focused, servant leadership-based culture drives differentiated results. Therefore, investing in people, our greatest asset, is always our highest priority. We'd like to look back on this period one, five, or 20 years from now and know we did the right thing for our employees. From the onset of this pandemic, we established protocols and implemented operational changes focused on health, hygiene, and safe distancing. On home front, we look to provide a safety net for income and family health, and to that end, have already incurred or committed almost $20 million in such labor-related expenses. Back in March, we began providing full wages for employees feeling ill, quarantined for any reason, or simply watching after a loved one in up to 12 weeks for those with childcare issues. These accommodations put our employees in the position to make the right decisions about their own health and that of their colleagues, rather than feel compelled to show up for a paycheck or have to burn PTO. In addition, we've been providing supplemental wages for all hourly employees, whether union or non-union, remote or on-site, and any temporary workers. We've also done the following expanded our employee relief fund for those experiencing financial hardship, launched the Waste Connection Scholarship Program to assist our employees' children to pursue and achieve their vocational, technical, and university education goals, fully covered COVID-19 related testing and medical costs, and extended access to medical benefits. Waste Connections is also stepping up in our communities through additional charitable contributions to assist food banks and families at risk meals for healthcare workers and higher risk populations, and donations of critical PPE. From a business standpoint, the revenue impact is mostly attributed to decreases in demand for a collection and disposal services resulting from the shelter in place and other closure requirements imposed to limit or control the spread of COVID-19. As noted earlier, our Q1 results reflect the impacts that we started to see in March as commercial collection activity slowed down due to service reductions or suspensions by customers whose business activity was curtailed by such measures, with third-party disposal volumes following similar patterns to hauling activity. The impacts we have seen vary by geography, the size and customer mix in each market, and the timing and extent of shutdown requirements across markets. In general, our smaller, more suburban or rural markets have been less impacted than the larger, more densely populated markets where we operate. Canada and the Northeast US have been our hardest hit areas. In terms of operating costs on the commercial side, the extent to which we can reroute or otherwise adjust our operations to reflect lower activity levels varies by market 
and depends on the pace and severity of reductions, as well as the expected timing and shape of any recovery. That said, we are already realizing savings in many variable costs, including third-party brokerage and disposal, labor and fuel, along with reductions in discretionary and non-essential expenses. With regard to capital expenditures, we've proactively cut approximately 110 million for the year, or about 20% of CapEx, in light of the slowdown in activity. However, we'll remain opportunistic during this period if presented attractive offers to purchase additional fleet, equipment, or longer-term landfill expansion acreage. Marianne will provide more details about our Q1 results and the strength of our balance sheet, which we pre-positioned for this period to provide optionality around capital employment on M&A and share repurchases. We remain disciplined in our approach to evaluating and pursuing strategic growth opportunities, whether in good economies or bad, and believe that free cash flow generation remains highly correlated to shareholder value creation. We take a long-term view and look forward to a recovery as this economy continues to restart. Now I'd like to pass the call to Mary Ann. I will then provide an update on the current environment and potential implications for the full year before we head into Q&A. Thank you, Worthing. In the first quarter, revenue was $1.352 billion, up $108 million over the prior year. Acquisitions completed since the year-ago period contributed about $64 million of revenue in the quarter, or about $59.6 million net of divestitures. Results in the first two months of the quarter positioned us to easily exceed our Q1 revenue outlook, but COVID-19-related declines in solid waste activity in March impacted revenue in the period by an estimated $12 million, or about 100 basis points of organic growth, primarily volume. As a result, solid waste price plus volume for the quarter was 5.2%, with price of 5.6% and volume of negative 40 basis points, due primarily to lower commercial activity and third-party disposal volumes in regions where the COVID-19-related shelter-in-place orders and business closure requirements were imposed earlier in the quarter or were more stringent than in other markets. Our most affected regions include Canada, where province-wide closures and suspension of construction activity drove outsized slowdowns, and our eastern region, which includes New York City, where commercial service reductions were over four times the level of overall reductions across all of our markets. On the other hand, volumes in our western region, another geography impacted by earlier closures, were positive, up over 3.5% in the quarter due to a strong start to the year, including the addition of new contracts. Looking at year-over-year results in the first quarter by line of business, commercial collection revenue increased approximately 5.4%, mostly due to price increases. Roll-off revenue increased approximately 6% on a combination of higher pulls, up about 2.5%, and revenue per pull, up 3.5%. Solid waste landfill tonnage increased about 6% on higher MSW tons, up about 3%, led by increases in Florida and on the West Coast, and higher special waste, up 17%, with increases across our regions in the U.S., with our largest increases in the Northeast. C&D tons were down about 2% in Q1, primarily due to reductions in Canada and the Northeast. As noted earlier, trends started the quarter more favorably and deteriorated in March. Looking specifically at same-store day-adjusted results in March, commercial revenue was up about 2% 
less than half the increase for the quarter. Landfill tons were down 1% and roll-off poles were down 4%. Looking at Q1 revenues from recycled commodities, landfill gas, and renewable energy credits or RINs. Excluding acquisitions in the aggregate, they were down about 5.4 million or 16% year over year. On OCC, down about 30% at $53 per ton, and RINs down 25%, averaging $1.34 in the quarter. With decremental margins of approximately 130% on recycling due to the combination of lower commodity values and higher recycling processing costs at third-party facilities, the margin impact from recycling and RINs was a drag of about 40 basis points and two cents in EPS in Q1. OCC prices have increased to over $100 per ton. In fact, some markets have seen prices of over $200 per ton. However, the collapse of oil prices has eroded the value of recycled plastics such that the net effect on the current value of the basket of commodities is an estimated increase of approximately 20% from Q1, but down about 15% year over year. RIN prices have also declined since quarter end, stepping down sequentially to about $1, due primarily to lower crude and resulting concerns about a potential slowdown in the demand for RINs. Moving next to ENP waste activity. We reported 59.4 million of ENP waste revenue in the quarter. At the upper end of our outlook, as activity held up in spite of further rig count declines and the collapse in the price of crude during the period. That said, ENP waste revenue in Q1 was down about 6% year over year and down about 5% sequentially from Q4, due primarily to lower pricing and activity levels in the Permian and Gulf of Mexico. Since quarter end, we have seen the monthly revenue run rate drop by over 45%. Adjusted EBITDA for Q1, as reconciled in our earnings release, was 408.5 million, about 3.5 million above our outlook for the period. Adjusted EBITDA as a percent of revenue in Q1 was 30.2%, down 80 basis points year over year, but exceeding our expectations by 40 basis points. Margins reflect the 40 basis point impact from lower recycled commodity values and RINs noted earlier, as well as an estimated 20 basis points impact from lower margin acquisitions completed since the year ago period, and an estimated 50 basis point margin drag from the one additional day in the quarter due to leap year. Thus, underlying solid waste collection, transfer, and disposal margins were up around 30 basis points in spite of an estimated 20 basis point impact from the high margin decrementals on COVID-19 related revenue losses and additional COVID-19 related expenses. Fuel expense in Q1 was about 3.7% of revenue, down about 20 basis points due partly to a CNG credit of approximately $900,000. We averaged approximately 257 per gallon for diesel in the quarter down two cents from the year ago period and down 12 cents sequentially from Q4. Interest expense, net of interest earnings in the quarter increased by 1.8 million over the prior year period to 35.8 million due to a combination of higher total borrowings as compared to the prior year period and lower interest earnings from invested cash balances. Our effective tax rate for the first quarter was 16.7% slightly lower than expected due to a higher credit related to the vesting of equity grants in the period. 
gap in adjusted net income per diluted share in Q1, as reconciled in our earnings release, were $0.54 and $0.65, respectively. Results in the current period reflect the previously noted $0.02 per share impact from year-over-year reductions in recycling and RINs, plus an additional $0.02 per share impact from the high decrementals on the estimated COVID-19-related revenue impact and incremental COVID-19-related expenses. Adjusted free cash flow in Q1 was $235.7 million, or 17.4% of revenue. Capital expenditures were $137.8 million, up 23.6 million and 20.7% year over year. In addition, we resumed our share repurchase program in the quarter and deployed about 106 million to repurchase approximately 1.27 million shares. We completed two public debt offerings during the quarter, totaling 1.1 billion. 600 million of 2.6% 10-year senior notes in January and 500 million of 3.05% 30-year senior notes in February, which further diversified our debt sources, extended the average tenor, and lowered our all-in average cost of debt to approximately 3.1%. Debt outstanding at quarter end was about 5.2 billion, and our leverage ratio, as defined in our credit agreement, ended the quarter at approximately 2.9 times debt to EBITDA, with cash balances of approximately $1.2 billion. We accumulated cash during March to maximize our flexibility during a period of heightened COVID-19 related concerns in the banking and capital markets. Since that time, we have paid down $500 million on our revolver, bringing down cash balances to approximately 725 million and compliance leverage to approximately 2.6 times debt to EBITDA. Regardless, on a net debt basis, our leverage is approximately 2.3 times net debt to EBITDA with liquidity of approximately $2 billion and no near-term debt maturities. And now let me turn the call back over to Worthing to discuss the current environment and trends in the business. Thank you, Marianne. There's there's still good, a good deal of uncertainty around the trajectory of the pandemic, its resulting macro and economic impact, and the duration of that impact. The severity and continuation of varying impacts across markets, the pace and shape of any economic recovery, and any additional acquisitions completed during the year will influence the extent to which our results are impacted. As such, rather than provide an outlook as we usually do based on current economic conditions, We believe it is appropriate to suspend the original outlook we provided for 2020, and we intend to update our full full year 2020 outlook when we report our second quarter results. That being said, we think it's helpful to look at April, as that month should reflect the depths of any COVID-19 related impact. As noted in our earnings release, we are encouraged by our results in April, as revenue on a reported basis was down approximately 6% year over year, or 1.4%, excluding Canada and the Northeast U.S., which were hardest hit. Solid waste collection, transfer, and disposal revenue on a same-store basis declined about 6.9%, or down just 3.1%, excluding Canada and the Northeast. EMP waste revenue was down about 33%. In the aggregate, adjusted EBITDA margins decreased by an estimated 200 basis points 
year over year in the month, primarily due to incremental costs related to COVID-19 and to a lesser extent, the reduction in EMP waste activity. Any economic recovery should reduce this impact going forward and our daily trackers suggest that the worst may in fact be behind us. Our data indicates that the pace of declines in solid waste in our most affected markets peaked in late March and slowed considerably during April. In late April, we saw mid to high single digit percentage upticks off of weekly lows in, land, in solid waste landfill volumes and roll off activity with over 70% of locations showing improvement. Additionally, about 12% of commercial customers and 9% of associated revenue in competitive markets we track that had suspended or reduced service during, due to COVID-19 have since reached out for either resumption of service or an increase in frequency. New business tracked in competitive markets outweighed losses earlier this week, increases outweighed decreases, and net new business turned positive again. Of course, we recognize that our data is limited and the trajectory of any recovery is unpredictable. That said, we are encouraged by, encouraged by the improving trends we are seeing and look forward to gaining greater clarity as more states either begin or continue to relax restrictions when deemed prudent. As COVID-19-related revenue losses recover, so too should the estimated margin impact we saw in April. Recent revenue and margin trends, along with reductions in capital expenditures, all of which were outlined in our earnings release and discussed today, should enable analysts and investors to better calibrate expectations for the full year. We believe these recent trends could result in revenue of about $5.25 billion for the full year, with margins down about 200 basis points year over year, and about a 50% conversion of adjusted EBITDA to adjusted free cash flow. But as previously noted, we are waiting until our second quarter results to update our official 2020 outlook, as we'll be three months smarter about the pace of any recovery. In summary, we are extremely pleased with our results for the first quarter of 2020, and we are encouraged by recent solid waste trends. We recognized early on going into this period of uncertainty that our communities will count on us as an essential services provider, and we on each other to honor our commitments. Protecting the health, safety, and welfare of our employees has guided every decision we've made knowing that reducing employee concerns regarding income, health care, and family obligations is critical to providing exceptional service. Our operating performance during this period reflects the benefit of that focus and is a testament to the dedication and tireless efforts of every Waste Connections employee, whether in the field or working remotely, which have been truly inspirational. Our frontline employees' attendance has been near perfect these past several weeks, and we saw sequential improvement in monthly safety-related incidents, which decreased by approximately 24% in April. Waste Connections is well-positioned to navigate this unprecedented period. We remain disciplined in executing our growth strategy and believe the strengths of our culture, our people, and our financial profile will continue to differentiate our execution and financial performance. We appreciate your time today. I'll now turn this call over to the operator to open up the lines for your questions. Operator. Thank you. If you would like to register a question, please press the 1 followed by the 4 on your telephone. You will hear a three-tone prompt to acknowledge your request. If your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the 1 followed by the 3. One moment, please, for the first question. 
Our first question comes to the line of Walter Sprocking with RBC Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, good morning, everyone. I uh, hope everyone's safe and, uh, and keeping well. Um, my, my first question here is on the overall impact uh, and insights you provided Worthing here in, in, into April. And, and judging by what we're seeing in the rest of the industri- industry, certainly uh, you know the peers that are reported, it sounds like your, your impact is less onerous uh, in April. Uh, you're hitting higher lows than, than peers. I know uh, at least one of your peers said that the end market is not really uh, a determining factor, but you know your opening comments suggest that it did. Could, could you give us some clarity as to why you think you're, uh, if indeed you, you feel you're doing better than the industry, and what would be some of the reasons? Well, again, I think it goes back to our original strategy, right? We do believe longer term that franchise markets and rural and suburban markets outperform, um, you know, larger, uh, more competitive, more fragmented markets. I think when you strip out, uh, again, the impact of Canada, which was a national shutdown, uh, and the Northeast, I think you see by revenue on a dollar basis being down as, as low as it is in the teeth of the pandemic in its worst month, prove that. Um, and obviously the volume growth that Marianne discussed in Q1 uh, coming off the West Coast and leading, uh, leading our, our, our company in volume growth also is indicative of that. Um, so no, I think the you know the strategy is is um, you know is, is right in, in good times and bad times. I would say that you know look when you the other companies talked about um, you know trends and changes in, in landfill volumes or, or collection activity hours et cetera. But I would say generally the broader you get in geographic reach, you know in some areas you know the trends are similar by company. Um, it's just that. We probably have less revenue on an overall basis exposed to that, which differentiates the uh, kind of the consolidated results that we report. Makes sense. My follow-up here is on uh, acquisitions. Uh, you know, if you, perhaps you could give us some insight as to how the the tenor is is is, is uh, proceeding here. Is it similar to your volumes, where you know April things go very quiet, and are you seeing any signs of life either? You know, from a from a seller standpoint, and 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 multiples there. Talk a bit about how you know just logistically you go about enacting a transaction in this environment, or or do you think that uh, tra- uh, transactions will ultimately hold off here until later in the year? Look, the the level of, of activity really hasn't changed for us. Obviously, the the pace of of getting to signing has slowed a little bit. Um, you know, in situations where you need government consents to get uh, contracts novated, that has slowed down, obviously, based on how things have slowed down in, in city halls, the ability to register real estate, things like that have slowed down. Obviously, the, the back and forth is a little bit different between attorneys. Um, you know, diligence rooms are already digital. Uh, and so from that standpoint, the information flow has still been strong. The quality companies are, are quality companies before a pandemic, during a pandemic, and after a pandemic. And so, you know, the dialogue we're having, the companies that we're uh, pursuing, um, again, it hasn't slowed down. I just think the pace of signing and closing, you know, is likely pushed, you know, two to three months at a minimum. Things that we thought would have signed or, or closed by, the, by this call, you know, are likely looking at, um, you know, late Q2 at the earliest. Okay, appreciate the time as always. Hope everyone's keeping safe. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Hansa Masri with Jeffries, who's proceed with the question. Hi, it's John Phillips. 
could you just talk about uh, commercial container weights? They looked like in early May or late April and how relative the weights are in the first week of April. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I think the when people throw around stats like yards, weights, et cetera, um, you know, I think it's hard for you guys to calibrate that towards what's, how do I fill a model in, right? Um, and so, you know, I've always thought the best, the best source is just looking at the actual, you know, dollars on a, on a, in revenue, right? I mean, if you look at, um, you know, commercial on the small container side, uh, and if you look at what we would call kind of, you know, month to month or, or kind of, you know, year over year, if you look at April as an example, April month to month was down about 9% um, over March. Um, if you look at, um, you know, the permanent roll-off side, it was down, you know, almost 12% month to month. And so it's calibrating around that 10% uh, or so number. And again, as you're exiting, exiting uh, April and moving into May, and we already talked about the that new business trends that we're seeing early this week and those numbers turning positive, I would expect the uh, the month to month trends to to start improving as you look at May compared to April. Great, thank you. That's very helpful. And for mm -hmm. my last question, could you just give us a sense of uh, landfill pricing and how to think about that figure uh, going forward? Third volume just continue to drop. Sure, John. So I, uh, I, I would say high level on pricing, because as you know, we, we always talk about pricing in the aggregate, given that half the waste at our landfills comes off of our own trucks, you know, similar to everyone in the industry. And so we, we think about it in, in the aggregate. And as you know, we guided to about 5% price for the year and said it would start higher and decrease over the course of the year. And, you know, the way we look at pricing, that hasn't changed much. There may be some instances where you don't push quite as hard in the in the depths of the the pandemic in a market with a, with a shutdown certainly, and so maybe there's a, a few PIs that get delayed or pushed off uh, to the subsequent quarter. But in general, as we think about pricing for the full year, you know maybe five percent ends up more like four and a half for the for the full year, uh, so down nominally. No real change in in our outlook on how we think about pricing. And as you may recall, we weren't emphasizing an opportunity in landfill pricing. We're always price-led in terms of our organic growth strategy, and this year is no different from others. Well, I think there's been a consistent theme throughout the industry in recognition of the cost to operate a landfill uh, and expand a landfill, um, that um, you know, generally the pricing trends you know, are moving higher, and we don't see that abating. Great. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Kyle White with Deutsche Bank. Please proceed the question. Hey, good morning. Hope everyone's doing well. Um, I know I know it's relatively early in this pandemic, and obviously companies are, are focused on more important things in terms of stabilizing uh, their business. But just curious, have you seen any material change in pricing behavior among competitors? That is, uh, any kind of cause for, for concern for you guys? No, I mean if you. Again, for, from our standpoint, I think, you know, as we've consistently said, our pricing is mostly done for the year already. To look at the competition, frankly, look, those, they've been hit really hard um, in this pandemic. Um, I'm not surprised that, you know, probably many smaller companies are reaching out to the PPP loans and, and you know, helping to subsidize um, their payroll. Um, look, I mean, you know, for those that do operate in commercial, obviously those folks have been hit on the commercial side. 
residential. Remember, most um, many many competitors on the residential side do not own landfills, um, and so as weights have shifted to the residential side and heavier loads up 20 or 30 percent, that's uh, that's pressured the cost structure uh, within those uh, within those companies on their P&L based on rising disposal costs. And so there's there, there's nothing from a cost standpoint for those companies that is moving down that suggests they should be lowering prices. I mean, this is a, you know, this is almost the second wave of uh, pricing uh, uh, requirements within this industry. The first wave being the change in recycling recently. This is a second wave effect of, uh, of the pressures that many companies are having on the cost side with the need to stay disciplined on the price side. So we have not seen uh, any degradation in the, in the discipline and the behavior of people really because of the macro. Uh, that's helpful. And, and then obviously uh, on the commercial side, it's really the wild card in terms of when businesses reopen, but curious if you can provide some more details on what you're seeing within uh, temporary roll-off, uh, particularly in regards to kind of construction activity and housing and just general expectations there going forward. Sure. So, uh, you know, if we, if we look at, at roll-off, for instance, and, and look at the trough and, and how we've recovered since then, we saw pulls down 17% at the trough. They've recovered uh, up 9% from there, so still down 10% from the peak, and over 70% of our locations have shown improvement. Interestingly, pretty broad-based in terms of the, the return, including markets in Canada, for instance, which were hardest hit, we are seeing construction start up again. And I would expect to see more as, you know, in places like Quebec, where construction uh, activity would begin again. And of course, there's some seasonal impact as well from that. But so that, that's an indication of, of polls. If I, if I look at, at April polls specifically, they're down about 16% and revenues around down around 20%, which would be consistent with your rate per poll declining on lower weights. So that all hangs together and, you know, roll-off revenue in the aggregate down over about 20% year-over-year in April and down about 11% from March. Got it. Thank you. Good luck in the balance of the year. Thank you. As a reminder, to register for questions, please press the 1, followed by the 4. Our next question comes from the line of Brian McGuire with Goldman Sachs. Please proceed with the question. Hey, good morning, everyone. Hope you're all doing well. Um, just wanted to come back to the the, different, the regional differences in, uh, in in April and and the outlook. Um, you know, it just seems like some of it was in, in the in the more competitive legacy, maybe progressive markets. Um, that just by chance. But just uh, you know, wondering if if you think there's anything to that other than the government restrictions and lockdowns and kind of where the virus was more acute and. Um, you know, kind of back to the yeah, pricing back. question. These, these I think are more uh, more competitive markets in general. If you think that uh, uh, you know, as, as businesses come back, if there'll be any dislocations, um, or you know, the fact that these are more competitive, that could be more challenging for pricing. The way that the volumes have kind of hit those markets. Sure. Well, if, if you look, you know, a, a way to look at it is to focus on the volume activity. And if you look at those, you know, the, the, our Eastern region and Canada, which include these hardest hit markets, you'll, you see volumes down 20% on average. And you contrast that with 
our central region, our western region, and southern region, again, kind of highlighting the differences in the types of markets, those are all down in the seven, you know, 6 to 8% range. And so it's very consistent with what we're seeing in that, that customer activity, where, as I mentioned, for instance, in New York, the, the reductions were four times the overall impact that we've seen, suggesting, you know, with volumes, if you assume volumes down kind of 12% in April, four times that amount, meaning it's down 50%. That's the impact of that dramatic a shutdown in a place like New York City. So I, I think that those trends are consistent with the other data we've given you about where we're seeing those reductions. And, and the areas where you've, you've seen a little bit of a sequential pickup late in, in the month, are those more of the harder hit areas like New York and then the, the more milder areas like the central states? Are you seeing any degradation, any further degradation there? I guess I'm, I'm just starting to, starting to wonder if there's maybe you know, some of the regions that have held up better Maybe it's just a delayed reaction versus uh, the, the markets that were, were worse off coming back a little bit. No, I tell you, the, the most confident folks we have uh, with regards to the current activity and the outlook on activity, um, you know, are in that 70% of the bucket that we've talked about before, meaning West Coast, Plain States, the South, uh, you know, the, the, the coastal Atlantic states. Um, really, it's just, uh, again, the kind of what we call the Northeast, which in our mind is New York City, Rhode Island, and Hudson Valley area, and Canada. Um, that's where the lag is still happening. Um, and that's where, frankly, the volumes are off, um, you know, as Marianne said, 30 to 50% on, in, on average from a revenue dollar standpoint, um, you know, across those three areas. Um, and so as, you know, as those recover, um, that'll be a nice tailwind for us. But with regards to where it's been click, uh, ticking up, uh, away from there, um, the expectation is it's still very strong. Obviously, special waste will still have special waste will uh, will still have some volatility here and there. But again, it's just a nice gradual uh, increase in activity. Okay, great. I'll turn it over. Thanks. Our next question comes to the line of Tyler Brown with Raymond James. Please proceed with the question. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, good morning. Hey, Worthing. So hey. I just want to start. Yeah, just want to start with the big uh, picture question on the franchises. So I know resi container weights have been a problem, and there's maybe some stream shift going on. But aren't the franchises kind of governed by some sort of return on capital mechanism? So in theory, even if the complexion and the cost structure of the business inside of the franchise maybe changes, shouldn't you effectively be made whole over time? Yeah, you'll see that. It's uh, a good question, Tyler. You'll see that in uh, pricing next year, right? We incur the cost this year, um, and, and we're tracking that. Uh, we have a pretty good sense of what that is, um, and that will get submitted within our rate reviews uh, in the upcoming year. Okay. Okay, so forward. Okay, that helps. And then, Marianne, so really appreciate the margin help in April, but at a high level, can you unpack the 200 basis points? maybe how much of it was EMP, and then within solid waste, I think there's still a couple moving pieces. We've got M&A dilution, recycling, the incremental labor, maybe even fuel, but just any big pictures on how you build up to the 200 basis points? Sure, so I, I would say, you know, stay with two big buckets and have EMP and then solid waste. EMP in the 50 to 70 uh, basis point range for the drag, 
and therefore what's left is solid waste and, and you know call it uh, you know 130 to, to 140 basis point drag within that you're right there's a drag from acquisition contribution which will be similar to q1 down a little bit so maybe you know 15 basis points there and a little drag from recycled commodities and rins but tyler i think if oh. you if you step back if you step back a little further um and really gauge how well are we doing, how well is the front line doing with regards to flexing the, the cost model here given the decrementals. Uh, on the solid waste side, that 130 or so basis points that Marianne's referencing, um, that's all of the COVID-related costs that we have you know, elected to put into our business to help the front line, that, that, that accounts for all of that. In other words, hmm. if you really want to get down beneath it and say, how did we flex our business down you know, on a year-over-year -year basis, you know, solid waste, uh, we've overcome all this. Now, we're not going to add back COVID-related costs as we communicate the business because, obviously, there are other costs that are, that are gone from the business. And so, as you, we get to anniversary and COVID-related costs in the upcoming year, you know, those costs will likely be backfilled by other things coming into the, the P&L. Um, and so, we think it'd be disingenuous for us as we think about it to cherry pick, um, you know, what's in an adjusted number, what's out of an adjusted number. And so we're just communicating this thing is on an all-in basis. Okay. And, Tyler, and then, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to add that when, when Worthing talked high level about talking about margins for the full year, you could envision that that breakdown of that 200 basis point could shift during the course of the year. As we mentioned, uh, we gave you an E&P number for April, for instance, but we also said that current rate, current run rate is down 45% from what we saw in Q1. So that implies mm -hmm. we've stepped down, you know, in May from call it 14 million to the 10 to 11 million dollar range. So you could see how during the course of Q2, you might have similar decrementals in the aggregate as April, but the mix shifts. And you could see that moving over the course of the year and E&P accounting for a larger component of the 200. Okay, that's helpful. And then my last one, I'm gonna give this a try because we're then I'm trying to calibrate. So if I take Q1 and I look at Q2, we've got, let's just call it mid single digit decline in revenue, a couple hundred basis points of decline in EBITDA that could hypothetically pain you out around 375 of EBITDA. And then if we just assume maybe some less bad trends in three and four, both on revenue and margins. I mean, is it crazy to think that you possibly pan out in the one, five, one, six range for the year, hypothetically? Well, you know, Tyler, I'm an operating guy, so I'm gonna hand this over to, to, uh, to Marianne. <laughs> so uh, I, I would say that that's consistent with Worthing's high level Suggestion of a calibration to the 5.25 billion with margins down 200 basis points. And the way I would think about it would be from a volume perspective. As I mentioned, you, know, you could see E&P declining over the course of the year. And you could see, you know, if we start Q2 with volumes in that negative 12 to 13 percent, could that, could what was implied, you know, be a step up to maybe it's negative 10 in Q3 and negative, negative 8 in Q4? I think that's similar math that would get you to that same place. Yeah, like we did what, 31% margins I'm rounding last year. So 200 down is 29%. And that's simple math that, that gets you uh, to that zip code. And, and obviously if the pace of recovery uh, improves, 
you know, you've got fewer and fewer months in the year to benefit from that. And so the volatility around a 5.25 number, you know, maybe it, maybe it's within one or one and a half percent on, on either side, but it's fairly tight. Okay. Okay. And then just last on the CapEx, how much of that is EMP versus solid waste? I'm assuming EMP is basically in hibernation. 20 million of that. Okay. Okay. And again, All right, thanks, and we expect, I mean, I, I made sure I noted the, the fact that, look, this isn't a period of time where you just, you know, hunker down and don't take advantage of opportunities on the capital side. And so, obviously, we flexed it down. Uh, we will look during the course of the year, opportunistically, we've already had a chance uh, uh, about a week ago to acquire a very nice piece of property uh, to uh, long-term expansion of one of our landfills. We will continue to look for that. Uh, this is an interesting time to be, you know, putting offers on the table for that. Um, and frankly, I think given the amount of cancellations of uh, fleet throughout this industry, um, as well as weakness in in, in yellow iron uh, demand uh, from the caterpillars of the world, et cetera, I suspect we'll get an opportunity to to look to put some of that back in and pull some of 21 into this year at some potentially attractive pricing. Or we won't, but if, obviously if we do get those uh, opportunities, we won't be shy and we'll make sure you know about it. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Michael Hoffman with Stiefel. Please proceed with the question. Thank you, Worthy and Marianne, um, for taking the questions. Um, let's talk about what Waste Connections looks like going forward because uh, I, I, what I'm hearing is uh, a lot of quick reaction, do the right thing by the people, but as we recover, I may actually end up with a better incremental. I doubt you add costs back at the pace you took them out. Is that, how to, is that the right way to think about who you are going forward? No, that's absolutely right, Michael. I mean, first off, what I tell you is, you know, there's a lot of discussion about hours, reducing OT, total hours, et cetera. Um, you know, that's in the rearview mirror. I mean, we know our cost structure. Hours have clicked up uh, two consecutive weeks on a nominal basis, uh, consistent with the inflection uh, on the revenue side. Um, like any, call it correction, uh, all companies typically come out of that with a slightly different cost structure on the way back up than the costs that were embedded when you previously got to that level, right? And so I definitely expect that the incrementals uh, that come through on this revenue increase, you know, should be very attractive, and our, our folks are, are focused on that. Okay, and then I want to follow up on one question about the behavior of the competitors. Is it a fair observation over the last 10 years, the whole industry has learned the power of price, public and private, little, big, medium, and therefore more of the smalls understand they'd be better off 80% full at 100% price than 100% full at 80% price? Well, again, I think the, the couple things on price, I mean, Obviously, the, the Great Recession, you know, taught many companies that, you know, you can't fight the tide of volume, right? And so uh, retaining price, because uh, costs will go up, retaining price is very important. Uh, obviously, the, as we talked earlier, you know, what happened, the reset on recycling also hit a lot of smaller companies who were dependent on recycling to, as a source of revenue to avoid a tip fee, right? And as recycling reflected on a cost standpoint, and, all of a sudden, tip fees at recycling facilities were, you know, two and three times or more 
a tip fee at a, at a landfill, uh, that created pricing pressures again. And obviously what we all have already talked about for the pandemic. So I think the, I think it's human nature to, to understand that price is needed uh, when costs go up, construction costs, equipment costs, operating costs, et cetera. Now that said, look, there are always folks that, that you know, will, will live on a lower margin, will run you know, close to the edge. Um, that'll always happen in a, in a fragmented industry like this. I mean, still there's $17 billion or more of revenue in private company hands, and that will always create some level of, of price check in various markets. Um, but without a doubt, you know, when the, when the tide goes out uh, on volumes from an economic contraction, all you have left is price, because it's not like costs are going down significantly. All right, and then last one for me. What what is Canada saying about the when they start reopening, given they did it on a national basis? Yeah, so so far Quebec has been earlier uh, to the table with regards to to you know phasing in this reopening. Um, you know, we saw, for instance, construction started being allowed in in Quebec again, and you know our business on the on the roll off side was probably down you know forty to fifty percent. In number of pulls, and you know the early uh, days of, of that being turned back on, you know we've gotten half of that reduction back recently, um, and so the snapback quickly to kind of only down 20 or 25 percent, um, you know, is the first uh, reaction. And obviously, as that market continues to reopen, uh, you know, so too will recovery in revenue. Ontario which is also, uh, you know, affected uh, severely. Uh, I believe, you know, most people estimate that the fa- early phasing of a, of a reopening is going to happen middle of this month. Um, you know, similar uh, expectations around British Columbia. Um, you know, Calgary and, and the whole kind of Alberta province area, that, that's still going to be probably a little bit uh, slower. Uh, and obviously there are other economic factors impacting uh, that province, uh, as as we all know, due to the oil and gas industry. Okay. Thank you very much. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you. Thanks. As a reminder, to register for question, please press the 1, followed by the 4. Our next question comes from the line of Noah K. with Oppenheimer. Please proceed the question. Great. Thanks for taking the questions, um, and, and thanks for, you know, by the way, providing your April revenue uh, changes, uh, as well as all the illustrative uh, color. I guess just to be done a little bit here, uh, it, it looks like if I just sort of take that 6% April revenue decline and uh, carry it forward for every quarter, then I, yeah, do I, I do kind of get to that $5.25 billion for the year. Um, but I just want to make sure we're, we're thinking about a few trends within that right so, you know, illustratively, and this is all hypothetical, um, you know, a little bit lower E&P, uh, maybe a little bit of improvement on solid waste volumes, uh, but there's probably another variable in there, right, which is, which is um, M&A contribution. So I guess just as it stands today, um, you know, can you help us how understand how you're thinking about those different levers, and can you confirm, you know, maybe M&A contribution does start to wane in the back half unless you're closing new deals? Sure. So, you know, M&A, as you know, it was around 60 million in, in Q1. That drops to 40, 30, 20 each sequential quarter there. But there's no there's no additional acquisitions yet to close that are in that uh, that are in that estimate. 
Right. That's just what's already in place as we entered this year, right? Right. So, so that's yeah. correct. So where, where I think you were going, Noah, was then even though perhaps it's uniform what the year-over-year -year revenue is, the contribution, the buckets are different. And so there's less acquisition contribution, which means that there would be more of an impact to solid waste or E&P, for instance. And as I've said, you, what you could envision is that E&P gets sequentially worse in terms of the year-over-year -year declines, and that solid waste could, in, you know, in a scenario, get sequentially better, meaning be less negative. So I guess that's really helpful. And I guess the question that follows from that is, you know, if there's less contribution from dilutive acquisitions over the course of the year um, and solid waste is getting better, um, shouldn't that potentially overwhelm the EMP impact in terms of, shouldn't there be a setup for margins to get better over the course of the year versus the 200 bits we saw in April? Um, you know, or is it just that there's there's really no kind of significant um, structural cost to strip out of the EMP and, and that is going to be a bigger drag? Just trying to think about it, thanks. Yeah, but you do have the growing drag of EMP, as you pointed out, Marianne pointed out, but Look, I think it's, um, you know, right now we're trying to calibrate, um, you know, folks' expectations. And frankly, it's once we know better around the, you know, trajectory of margins and the pace of the recovery, we'll know more uh, when we give a formal outlook. And um, that would be the, the best time to kind of compare that formal outlook to, you know, what we tried to triangulate on today. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Our next question comes to line of Stephanie Yi with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed with the question. Hi, good morning. Um, I was just wondering what kind of assumptions are you assuming about what the recovery might look like? Um, so are you expecting customers to resume service to kind of the prior levels they were at in, let's say, February pre-COVID? Or are you seeing customers kind of come back at a lower service rate? No, remember that um, I think it was Marianne laid out earlier. If you look at the the volume reductions, you know, just in in April alone, you know, April was down 11 or 12 percent or so um, in volume. Um, and you know, as we said, look, maybe the quarter plays out in that same uh, range, and perhaps that you know improves to you know, down 10 or or so, or down uh, down nine or so, and then maybe it improves a little bit more in Q4 to down nine or down eight percent. So no, the that kind of assumption uh, is not assuming anything about getting back to prior levels. Um, in my personal view, has always been that this is going to be a, a longer, a longer versus shorter uh, recovery. Um, obviously, you'll, some storefronts won't reopen. Um, 35 million unemployed, um, you know, does hit, does impact the economy, and so I'd never would assume a, a V recovery, and um, I think. The way we've laid out uh, our current thoughts to be as transparent as possible reflect that. Okay, no, that's helpful. Um, and then I guess on recycling, so it's kind of along a similar vein. So if um, there are social distancing measures in place as kind of being the new normal, do you think we're seeing another structural change in that recycling business with maybe higher processing costs? but then also maybe higher OCC prices with less supply going forward? Yeah, I think there's there's a couple observations on that. You know, obviously, as 
you know, in the current environment, you've got two things, um, you know, working against the supply of recycled materials and therefore pushing the, the value of them higher. And that is obviously as you've had more uh, remote working, uh, you've had, you know, a lot less of a, what I would call a clean stream uh, coming out of the commercial uh, customers, right? Um, office buildings, et cetera. And that combined with the shift in volumes to, you know, the home. By the way, you look at our MSW volumes, our MSW volumes are flat, <laughs> um, meaning, you know, the, the volume is still out there. The problem is that more people are jamming uh, contaminated uh, waste streams into their recycling bins because they need more bin capacity. So a long way of saying that, that you've got less of a clean stream, you've got more of a co-mingled stream coming out of the residential. Um, and so that is increasing the contamination at much higher levels uh, on the inbound stream. Oh, and then you distance uh, more, uh, and that causes some facilities to, to, for the contamination to go up even more relative to what they got as a finished product before. And so without a doubt, um, recycling is having its impacts, um, you know, varies by market. Um, obviously, different types of facilities are better equipped for social distancing or safe distancing than others. So that also has an impact. Um, so, no, recycling overall, um, you know, it's got many challenges as we sit here today. And again, for us, that's a very, you know, small part of our revenue stream. Okay. No, thank you. Appreciate that. There are no further questions registered at this time. However, as a reminder, please press the one followed by the four on your telephone to ask a question. Okay, thank you. So if there are no further questions, on behalf of our entire management team, we appreciate your listening to and interest in the call today. Marianne and I are available today to answer any direct questions that we did not cover that we are allowed to answer under Regulation FD, Reg G, and applicable securities laws in Canada. Thank you again. We miss being able to meet with you all in person and look forward to speaking with you at upcoming virtual investor conferences or on our next earnings call. Thank you. That does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your line. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.